Well, good morning, everyone, again. Um, my name is David Degla. I'm one of the pastors here at Oak Ridge, and I am excited not just to be with you, but to get to continue our Daniel series that we have been in for the past several weeks. And last week, Brian, man, I really appreciated your Easter message and how we got to move from where we had been studying the history and the character of Daniel to move into and just to see the glory that is the coming of the King. And I thought that was an awesome way to celebrate Easter, not just on that day, but to think about the day that is coming. And so as we look to Daniel and the teaching team, as we really wanted to parse it out, there's a set series of chapters that kind of walk through that, that history and where Daniel was. And then what we are now moving into is prophecy. And so we're going to, starting with last week, have about six weeks where we'll talk through um, some of the prophetic sections of Daniel and uh, I'm excited to bring one of them to you today. Today, as, as I think James mentioned when he uh, started our, our service this morning, we are absolutely going to talk about how our God is sovereign. And that's not like a small as something that we're going to take lightly today. And the goal that I want you to walk away with is, is just how key that is, not just to our understanding, but that we take that to like full knowledge and then really walk that out and, and have that as an impact on our life. So as we talk about Daniel, we're going to look at chapters 2 and 7, and it references and brings in kingdoms. And so um, there's a lot in the Bible. I pulled a couple of verses that, say, that talk about how God is sovereign over the nations. So here's Psalm 23, 28. It says, for the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations, plural there. Jesus answered and said, you have no power. He's talking to Pilate. He says, you have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. And here's another excerpt in Romans 13. It says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authority, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. So as we look over history, right, that's what we're, we're doing. We're looking back some today. I am sometimes fancy myself as a history buff, and I'm like, there's a lot that's going on there. And it seems like it's amazing sometimes the things that happen to form where we are and how we have gotten to today. And sometimes, maybe, maybe you get yourself there too, I ask this question, I'm like, what if it went differently? How different could it look today? What if this chance thing that happened didn't happen or happened sooner or later or did not at all? So sometimes I, I sneak in the back of my mind those what-if questions. And I'm not going to tell you today that those are bad questions, but we want to understand the doubt of that and, and kind of relieve ourselves of it. And that's what, when we talk about the fact that God is sovereign, what we want to talk about with that. So I have here an outline as we, as we talked about moving from the history to the prophetic. And so you, I thought this was very nice. It not only grouped how the chapters were established, but also roughly when they were written across the timeline of Daniel's life. And so um, you can see up there that we are going to be starting in the prophetic section with chapter 7, but there's a reach back to chapter 2 where we're going to be pulling in and actually getting there first today. So Daniel 2 is going to talk about the image. This is a, the image that sets up in, in chapter 3. It's kind of the instigation, if you will, of, of one thing that we already covered in this series, which is having to bow to uh, the image that Nebuchadnezzar sets up afterwards in, in chapter 3. Chapter 7 talks about the four beasts and their role in being parallels for or associations with the kingdoms uh, of man. 
And then, uh, spoiler alert, there is homework this week. Chapter 8, I would like for you guys to, there's a note, there's a section in the back of your notes, section. don't go there now. But, but for you guys to do some homework, to try to tie all of this in uh, on your own this week, I'm asking that you guys spend a little bit of time with it. So let's dig right into chapter 2. I want, before we go into it, I want to talk about the setting, because I still think it's important, even though we've gone through the history, to reference the fact that this occurred in 602 B.C., so with chapters 2 and 7, we're going to mark distinct dates in which they occurred. And that's important because there is this rumor mill, let's call it, in some of the academic community and maybe even what might associate with the Christian or scholarly community that, that Daniel was written afterwards. And the details that exist are there because they were written afterwards. And man, does that, that's, that might seem little, right? But it just chinks at what we know is the truth and the prophetic power of God and His Word. And so I don't want us to even start down that road. So we want to establish very much with certainty when these are written. And we can do that because if we go, if you flip with me, we're going we're gonna to stick basically exclusively in Daniel. So if you've got your Bibles, um, start, start going through there. Land in chapter 2 with me, please. Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign... That's a point in time in which we can corroborate with secular authorities and historians. Like, that's an indefutable point. It's there. We don't have to mess with it. So we know that we can sit on it. And it's occurred in 602. So not only do we have it on the Bible, which, by the way, is enough, right? We can step outside of that and, and say, hey, it's here as well. And so the chapter is set up like this. Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar's dream is just mentioned briefly because there's this, like, there's this undertone, right, that as you read the first half of the chapter that nobody knows what it is. We, get to, we have to wait until the chapter develops to see what it is, and that, that builds some of what the character that we've talked about earlier. So we're going to move through those parts. But one thing that's really important as we look at this, this third bullet here is that the source of the vision and its interpretation are both attributed to God. So make sure that we're understanding that. Daniel is extremely clear when he's talking to Nebuchadnezzar. Hey, this doesn't come from me. This isn't, this isn't my word. I'm able to do this because there is this God, the God of gods, the King of kings that I serve, that is, I'm telling you through. And so we'll see that here. We'll also see it in chapter 7. And that's the beauty of these two parallel chapters. They really, it's quite amazing how they support each other. And then the interpretation is given in chapter 2, verses 31 through 45. And we're going to read that as a congregation um, together right now. Um, so as you're, as you're open in there in chapter 2, uh, start in, in verse 31 with me. I'll get there as well. So we're going to read through this. I've enjoyed, we've been doing this a little bit more when, when we've worked through Daniel as reading these uh, sections of scripture, and I, I just love reading the word in, in service. I mean, it just, it seems so right, right? So let's, let's do that now in uh, verse 31. You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image, the great image whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. The image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone cut out of human hands. Now, we're going to pick up some here, what Brian read last week, but that's okay. It's awesome. Let's read it again. You watched while a stone was cut out with hum with, without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. 
Then the iron and clay, the bronze and the silver and the gold were crushed together and became chafe from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found, and the stone that was struck in the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. Now we will tell you its interpretation. You, O king, are a king, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, he has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them all, and you are this head of gold. But after you shall arise another kingdom, inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over the earth. And a fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, and as much as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes that kingdom will break in pieces and crush others. Whereas you saw the feet and the toes partially of the potter's clay and partially of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with the clay. And as the toes and the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be as partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with the ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay." For in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all of these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. And as much as you saw that stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke the pieces of iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. This dream is certain, and its interpretations are true. That's quite the closing line. Can we read that one more time? And as much as you saw that stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king that which will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. So what we read through was this statue, this image, and it was a, it was a multi-part, right? Not, not made of one uh, solely out of gold is actually what Nebuchadnezzar will set up in chapter 3. But it's broken down here just as it was in the word that we read. So I just wanted to provide a summary for you. We talked about the head of gold and then it was referenced and it walked down the chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of bronze legs of iron, and then these feet that are made partly out of iron and partly out of clay. Now we're going to talk through the interpretation of what this is and how it relates to the fact that we are talking about kingdoms in a second. But before we get to that, I wanted to share with you something that I realized as I was reading through this and studying on this. One of the things that I've seen before, and I think is somewhat evident, is that as you move from the head down the statue, it decreases in value. It says that in the Word, that it will not be as great. And so that's important, and we certainly want to, and I, and I thought about that before, but here's what was new that I realized um, over the past couple of weeks, is that as you look at the medals that are mentioned, and I'm, I think as it's clear up here that you guys are seeing all of these medals listed, what you're noticing is their reac reactive oxidation values are all increasing as you go from gold to silver, to bronze, which is mainly made out of copper, and then to iron. 
I'm a chemist, so that might be a little more obvious to me. But what is, that is true, though, still. And what that means, what that actually translates to is, what's that third point is there, is that they decrease in purity. Gold is so valued, not only because necessarily is it rare, it's not actually the rarest, right? But it is also one of the most stable and lowest reactivity metals that are out there. And that's why it has that highly associated value, because it keeps its purity. And then as you move down, silver is slightly less so. It becomes more reactive, so it oxidizes. It forms weaker bonds than the gold does, not at all. And then the copper, if you think about bronze and how you've seen a lot of like tinged things, that's the copper breaking down in the bronze. And then if you think about iron and, and mainly maybe in steel and the rust that's associated with that, it holds some of its structure, but it breaks and it rusts away. Because all the while, it's getting further from pure. As, as the line of man goes and the kingdoms are established, they're not getting more pure. They're not getting better. They may last longer or be bigger or something like that, but they're not getting better. Their purity and their value is continually decreasing. But remember, and this is the point that we're drawing the whole way through today, as that happens, that doesn't mean that that's out of control or that that's not according to God's sovereign plan. That's just the way that a fallen world would continue to go down the spiral. So let's look now at Daniel 7. Again, important as we talked about earlier today, to establish the date at which this vision occurred. Flip with me now to Daniel 7, just a couple pages. In the first year of Balthazar, king of Babylon, boom, same thing that we had last time. We can establish a clean and clear date off of that. And so we should, because again, it matters greatly. So just like before, we had a dream, and then the, the outline is such that its source is identified from God, and then the interpretation is provided. So you can see, I think, the awesome parallel here and the manner in which it's repeated is not by any happenstance, but is very purposeful, and that we're establishing when it happened, that it happened, where it is coming from, and then what it means. And that what it means is fully defined and described by God. The interpretation is straight from Him. And that's how that, that awesome sentence that we closed that reading in chapter 2 with, the dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. Now, we are going to, I will just share with you as I, as I briefly mentioned at the beginning uh, when I was talking with you, we're going to spend this week and next week looking at some of these visions of Daniel and, and actually the next couple. But we'll be interweaving through the image and the beast and another chapter, which is the chapter 8 that you guys are going to do as homework. And we're going to look at the time today that has happened since these events happened in Daniel to now. And then next week, we're going to focus on now to future. And so when we read most of what is happening with the beast, there's a lot more detail about what happens from now to the future. We're not going to avoid that. Rather, we are going to talk about that next week. So hang with me. Make sure you're here next week, and we'll talk it through. And also do your homework. Okay. Now, um, let us read in Daniel chapter 7. We're going to pick up in verse 2, 
and then we're going to move uh, a little bit through. But let's read Daniel chapter 7, verses 2 through 7. Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up by the great sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. And suddenly another beast, a second like a bear. It was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. Thus they said to it, Arise and devour much flesh. After this I looked, and there was another, like a leopard, which, was, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. For this I saw in my night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth, and it was devouring, breaking in pieces and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Now we'll stop there. The horns is something that indeed we are going to unpack next week. So if you'll allow me, we are going to move later in the chapter, pick up in verse 17, to establish some of that interpretation. So right here, this is an angel in Daniel's dream that's speaking to him. And it says, These great beasts, which are four, are the four kings which will arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Then I wish to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, with its teeth of iron and its nails of bronze, which devoured broken pieces and trampled the residue with its feet. So that there again, it's going to pick up talking about the horns, and that's where we'll pick up next week. So we had four beasts that we just talked through there. Um, we're going to talk through them. So notice there's a couple of things, just like we had with the metals in the previous image. There are particular things that we should pay attention to in this one. Notice that none of them are just described as an animal that we would see kind of walking around, or that would have been seen then, rather, walking around. They're all like A, like A, and it's because that there is not some original design, there's not a God-given design to them. They are symbolic of the things that man has created, the empires that man has created. And so they, they are by nature then not properly right to God's creation. And so with each of these, what I wanted to do as a summary was provide, I, sh I should mention, I guess, real quick before I leave that, we couldn't even get a description of the fourth one. It was so grotesque and so powerful, and I was, I was doing this some, on, on Friday, I was finishing this up, and Xavier was home with me, and he was sitting next to me, and he goes, Dad, that one is just scary. And I said, yes, sir, it is. He says, what is it supposed to be? I said, we don't really know. He said, well, well, it doesn't tell you. I said, it does, and I read it to him, and I told him it's described only as a dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong beast with huge iron teeth and devours and breaks things in pieces and tramples them. And he goes, yeah, I don't like that. I was like, we're, we're not supposed to. But it was, it was neat just to, just to then, even if you put the image aside, which is just someone's association, then we just talk the words to him. 
was just like, oh, it just doesn't feel right to get out, and it, it's not supposed to. It's, a, it's an ugly mutation. It's an awful thing that is, that is to arise. So the other ones, too, and all of these, they have distinct characteristics, like biological characteristics that they were, they're given that aren't, again, necessarily natural. The, the lion has eagle's wings. The bear, it says, has grotesque, large size on one. Right? And then the leopard has four wings and four heads. And again, the fourth beast that we already talked about some is, is pretty obvious in its biological anomalies. Teeth of iron and claws of bronze. And then with each one of these, in the interpretation, it's given, it shows how power is, is given or taken by it or from it, and power is associated with it. There again, establishing the fact that we are talking about kingdoms. Not only does the does the angel clearly say that? But you can see that it's just, it's just taking that each and every time. So what we're going to do now is we're going to link up chapter 2 with chapter 7. So if you've been following along on your note sheet, flip it over to the back side, there's a table. We're going to start to fill that out together as we talk about what these are and how they have unfolded as kingdoms. We will start at the head of the image and at the first beast that was spoken of. And that is that of head of gold. And the beast is a lion with wings like eagles. And so right in the, in the, in the text that we read today, Daniel straight up speaks that this is Nebuchadnezzar. This is Babylon. He establishes that there is, frankly, basically zero interpretation necessary. It is right there, softly handed to us as we get started. But even if we wanted more, we could still get there, because do you know that the Babylonians themselves, over all of the things that we have found on them, they loved to prize their images, their walls, their buildings with lions that had eagle's wings. Jeremiah himself, who if we go back to that timeline, was alive during that, and that was one of the awesome things that Brian laid out in the very first week of this, as we happened that this wasn't Daniel in a vacuum, there was overlap between Jeremiah Jeremiah talks several times in his text about how he describes Babylon as a lion. So the Babylonian Empire is going on as Daniel is, is giving this, this, these dreams are occurring. That happened from 605 to 539 BC. And just as we establish dates that these chapters happen, it's going to be pretty awesome as we watch the dates of these empires unfold and what happens from that. And then I have an image up here. If you're a geography buff, uh, maybe not visible. If you guys, the, these notes will all, the PDFs, these get PDFed and linked to the website. And so you can pull these down as you copiously listen and repeat to this message all the time. You can pull these down and listen to it and then see. But this is, this is the layout of the Babylonian Empire. So we'll go straight from here to the next empire. And you can see the expansion that happens. This is the Medo-Persian Empire. It is a duality of an empire, and that is described by the chest that has two arms, and the bear that has an exaggerated side and a weaker side. This was, so to speak, a little bit of an unfair agreement between the Medes and the Persians. The Persians were much, much stronger. Their empire much greater. And that is what we see in the bear with that grotesquely large side on the one. This is just cool. 
in the bear's mouth. Remember the three ribs? The distinctive conquest of the Medo-Persian Empire is defined by three military campaigns. And it crushed its opponents by lumbering through and destroying each and every time, just churning it up and destroying it as it went through those three conquests. And this empire was established from 539 to 331 B.C. If you watch, we're already now outside of the dates that we were at in chapters 2 and 7. We are now into the future where we're stepping into this prophetic word. Greece, the Grecian Empire, is mentioned next with the bronze waist and the leopard with four wings and four heads. The Greek Empire, as large as it was as you see here, was established in 10 years. It was unlike any other military conquest that has ever been seen in the past in terms of size or ratio and to its conquer and how fast it was. And so just like the speed of a leper and the wings that are used, but then something happened. This is the establishment of Alexander's great empire. And he dies prematurely. If you're a student of history, you caught that. And then in his wake, Four generals were stood up, and the empire withstood that, but it was greatly weakened, and then it never really moved out of that. But those four generals established four, basically, regions that existed of the empire, much like the four heads of the leopard. The Greek empire was established from 331 to 146 BC. We're now 200 years... So the next empire is Rome. Rome is described in the image with iron and two legs, which we'll talk to in a second. But you can see here, and and frankly, I liked that this paralleled all the other images, but the empire keeps going over here. So this map like needs filled in. Ready? We'll do it right now. It goes like this. And it's blue all the way out here. It's huge empire larger than the previous ones, and lasting much longer, if you see those dates, 146 to 476 AD. But unrivaled in its mass of length of time and the amount of dominance that it has had, it's considered the last great whole world, quote-unquote, as its known empire, which will bring us to now. And a long way through this, about halfway through what we're looking at in terms of dates, the empire was split down the middle in terms of it was so large to be able to organize it better and to be able to react better, it was split into an eastern and western empire, much like one has two legs. And there's this really neat thing that happens when we look at the, the, lin- the link between the beast and the image. The beast, remember, what kind of teeth did it have? What kind of structure was inside of the beast? Iron, Iron thank you, sir. Love the audience participation. It had iron teeth and structure. It had nails of what? Bronze, somebody else. Thank you, we're learning. It's awesome. So bronze, well, we had bronze before, right? We had bronze in the previous empire. There was notes all throughout the Roman Empire about how it spread the Hellenization, which is basically the Greek spread of, of culture that was allowed to keep going through the Roman Empire. So you see those bronze still within the empire itself. Just some awesome points of reference, some details that are phenomenally distinct 
So here we have then the image basically complete beside the beast with the associated empires and the dates in very tiny letters. How did you guys do on the tables? Cool. So what I wanted to do was provide a quick reference as you would re go back and read these just to be able to have that and look and see some of the details that we were able to learn and fully associate with those empires as they came. And here's where the dates are. Now, I took, what I did was I did the calculation from when Daniel in chapter 7 was written to when the empires were established. It was just over 20 years ahead of the Medo-Persian Empire. It was 200 years before the Greek Empire and 400 years before the establishment of the Roman Empire. That doesn't even count the changing of the empires, the end of the Roman Empire, its division. So we're talking centuries out in that level of accuracy and the prophetic word that Daniel had in Nebuchadnezzar's dream and in Daniel's dream. And the coolest thing is that we're not actually even done yet. Now today we might be, but next week we're going to get into and talk about the feet of iron and clay and what they represent. Now at the beginning, I spent a little bit of time unpacking the fact that we have not only verses, but we have this like mental association, we might even call it like a cliche, that God is sovereign. But think about then what that actually unpacks to and means is that centuries ahead of time, God was able to give Daniel these interpretations of these coming empires and so many different events that would have had to have happened not at all by chance, but by the sovereignty of God. And so it's not to say that we naively should sit and look at history and just say, oh, that was really cool that that just kind of laid out just like that. Not at all true. In Daniel chapter 2, right before where we picked up reading today, there are three verses that are incredibly powerful that lay out what the sovereignty of God really means. And I'd like to read it, everyone actually verbally together today, to close our time. And take hold of it as you think about it this week, to really what that means, to not just understand, yeah, I, I get it, David, that God is sovereign. No, like, what does that mean in your life? Do you understand it and know it and work from that into your life? Can we take hold of that and rely upon it? So flip back with me too to Daniel chapter 2, and as you find that as you're, as you're ready, would you please stand with me? We're going to start in verse 20. We're all going to read it together. Let's read the same translation. How about that? Does that make sense? Yeah, everyone was like, oh, I was worried about that. Okay, all right. Thank you. I got there. Okay, so we'll take this nice and slow and all together, and just let these words, please, we, we, again, we will take this slow. Let this sink into what we are actually saying. I'll start us here. Daniel answered and said, everyone, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who understand. He reveals deep secrets things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. Father God, we thank you so much that we cannot just say, God, but that we can know with certainty, God, that 
the dreams and the interpretations are true, and that your word is true, God, and your might and power are unlimited, and not just in biblical times to understand, God, but throughout history and still today. Is your holy name because of its unlimited power. Amen.